It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Hello, it's Dan here. Many thanks for joining me on this ninth episode of In The Key Of Q. My goodness, episode nine already. <laughs> and a huge thank you to those of you who have supported the show over at patreon.com slash inthekeyofq. Your donations are really helping to keep the show going and bring these wonderfully talented musicians to a global audience. Thank you so, so much. This episode, I'm featuring the wonderful Paul Andrews, whose music just, I, I absolutely adored it when I heard it. And I liked how with his album, you really felt like the entire album was, was a piece in itself rather than just a collection of singles. So I really hope that you enjoy my interview with him in this episode. And of course, do get in touch. Tell me what you think. Rate and review the episode. Reach out on social media or, you know, drop me an email on dan at inthekeyofq.com. Enjoy. Madonna had just released her Rebel Heart album and Living for Love came out. I did the mix and it got a buzz and all these DJs are asking me for copies and it made it to Madonna's dance music supervisor's desk. And he contacted me about doing a remix for Madonna's next single, which was Ghost Town. And he said, do what you feel is right for the song. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. I love popular music and have spent my life translating mostly heteronormative songs onto my gay experience. But I think it's time I found my own voice, directly and without translation. So in this podcast, I'm going in search of musicians from around the world who inspire and mirror my own queer journey. Welcome to In The Key Of Q. And this week, I'm speaking with Paul Andrews, who without doubt has one of the most sublime albums out at the moment. It's called Light and Dust, and I'm delighted to have him here to speak with us about it. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I grew up in a musical household. Uh, my mom was was really into music, and she would go buy records every week, those 45s. It's so funny because she didn't know the name of them, and she would have to go into the record store and sing sing the song. You you can feel it all over, <laughs> you know. And, uh, oh, it's Stevie Wonder, Sir Duke. And my mom was like, no, like Sir Duke. This isn't the right record. Yes, ma'am, it's Sir Duke. <laughs> but she would go like weekly and buy records. So we had this collection that we would just play all the time. So even in these early stages of your life, music still really, really appealed to you. My mom used to buy us those songbooks for like 100 popular songs, you know, and it would have like Chicago and uh, the Go-Go's and all, you know, different pop groups. And I learned by looking at the chords up top, oh, it's actually the guitar tablature is actually the chord here. And, and I started learning about 
harmony myself. And I think that's where I got the fascination with harmony. So when we were growing up, again, with all the songs that my mom bought, we were just, all of us were singing all the time. I, I didn't think about me singing to sound like something. It was just me getting the melody across. I know I don't have a typical voice. I, I don't want to try to sound like someone else because I feel like it's sort of weird when I hear other people affect their voice and sing. I'm like, why don't you just use your like real voice, you know? And I try to come across that way. I started to do some remixing just um, sort of to test the waters. And I ended up meeting uh, Dwayne Alexander, who was in uh, ASCAP at the time. And he heard a tape of some stuff that I did. And they weren't really songs. They were like arrangements or tracks that maybe people would write to. And he actually thought that he could find me people that I could write with. And he asked me to if I was interested to go to New York um, and he was going to get me a deal. He was moving over to Polygram Publishing. He was going to get me a, a, like a starting writer deal there and he was going to hook me up with different writers. So I went to New York and uh, he partnered me with Cynthia Biggs. That's one of the first writers I worked with. Um, she's written stuff for Patti LaBelle and, uh, Phyllis Hyman. Uh, so those were the stuff that I knew. So when I had the opportunity, I'm like, oh my God, Cynthia Biggs. And she liked my stuff. We wrote something and I happened to be out one night and I remember I was leaving and I looked over and I saw Phyllis Hyman sitting in a booth, you know, with a, lot, a bunch of people. And I thought, oh, you know what? Cynthia worked with Phyllis before. I might as well try to pitch something. So... I looked over, hi, Phyllis. And she like looked over at me like, why is this white guy <laughs> talking to me? <laughs> um, I said, I songwrite with Cynthia Biggs. Are you interested in hearing it? And she's like, call me. Let me give you my number. Like, um, so <laughs> I gave her my phone number or she gave me hers and uh, I ended up sending her the song and she loved it and she wanted to record it for her, her album and she wanted to write more. She wanted to get into writing with Cynthia and with me. And obviously the work we did didn't get out there because she ended up uh, killing herself, which was very sad. I ended up doing remixing for Dolly Parton, uh, Tina Arena, uh, Gloria Stefan, Robin, and that that 
time period culminated in working for Phil Ramone, directly for Phil Ramone. My engineering partner, Doug Mountain, he would take care of taking my arrangements and he would do the mixing on the board and, uh, you know, the EQing and, you know, getting the final part done. He, um, he introduced me to Phil, who was looking for remixers on his N2K label. So I met him. I presented him with a few things and I loved my conversations with him because he liked like how I was going with different keys and chords. And he would actually ask me, how did you get to this key? And it was like two musicians talking, which that's the stuff I love. But unfortunately the, the label folded and I think some stuff came out on promo, but uh, a lot of it never, never made the light of day. In, in college, I learned how to learn. And in music life, I learned how to make sure I get to my ideas faster so I don't get discouraged. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, absolutely, it does. Like, I have stuff set up so I can get to that point where I feel like, oh, this is a real song, or I can get to that idea quickly. I, I, I keep my iPhone with me all the time and record ideas down and stuff because... Unfortunately, you think you're going to remember them mm -hmm. and they, you don't. Um, I imagine but, melodies just slip through your fingers. Yeah, I get so mad. And a lot of times <laughs> I'm in the shower, then I have a, like, where's my recorder? So, so yeah. By the time you washed the conditioner out of your hair, it's gone. <laughs> well, when I had hair, out of my beard. <laughs> I imagine as well as the creativity, there must be a lot of discipline in knowing when to let go of an idea. You know, that is... That is important. Um, I love learning about creativity. I'm, I'm pretty much a nerd where my Saturday nights are grabbing a glass of wine and going looking at TED Talks or doing, looking at courses, music courses on YouTube, or I just want to learn. And it's not just about music. I just want to learn. Um, but I think the whole study of creativity is so interesting because I didn't know where it comes from, but I know how it works. Um, and I think getting the idea out is the most important part of it. But then there comes that experience of knowing how to edit your work. Going back in and like, oh, so this was a good idea, but it can be better. Mm -hmm. Like I can say this whole thing with two words instead of the seven words that I used. Um, and that's where experience comes in. Um, actually, that's when I started remixing the second time. And I, I was trying different styles because I wanted to learn those different styles. And the best way to learn is by actually doing it. Um, and I. And so when was this? What year was this in? So in 2012, my friend Dwayne, he's the one who got me to move to New York. He had moved out to California and was actually studying to, to do film. But he also was doing counseling work, and sadly, one of his uh, one of his students ended up stabbing him to death. It was very upsetting. I came downstairs crying um, to Tom, and he thought something happened to my family. And I was trying to explain it between all the, 
you know, the gasp of, gasps of air. And I was trying to tell them, no, my family's okay, but this is what happened to my friend. I took, uh, I found vocals for Mary J. Blige, uh, Just Fine. And I put together a remix that I thought Dwayne would have liked. Madonna had just released her Rebel Heart album and Living For Love came out. And I found vocals and I did my own thing with it. It wasn't anything that was happening currently in the music market. Again, I like putting chords and stuff and making it feel like a song that you don't need to have a dance beat to like. You can just have a piano and someone singing and it still works. So I did the mix and it got a buzz and all these DJs are asking me for copies and it made it to uh, Madonna's dance music supervisor's desk. And he contacted me about doing a remix for Madonna's next single, which was Ghost Town. And it's funny because um, I listened to the song and I realized it was a ballad. I'm like, <laughs> how is this going to work? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those tempos where you can't really slow it down too much without it sounding like she has molasses in her mouth or, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> I, I called Orlando back. Um, and I said, hi, so I noticed this is this, you know, is Madonna looking for something? And he said, do what you feel is right for the song, which was very important that he said that because it made me realize I was being contacted for my take on it, not for what they wanted me to do. Because in the past, even though it was your take, you got so much input from record labels and stuff. But Orlando didn't ask for that. I only had three days to do the mix and I even went to work. So I did it in two days and it was so nice because Tom would be bringing me dinner and stuff while I was working. <laughs> um, I've got this lovely image of you going, honey, honey, bring my dinner. I'm busy remixing a Madonna song. No, not spaghetti. Um, so <laughs> I did it in two days. I got it mastered in one day and I sent it off. Orlando loved it. He thought Madonna would too. And I actually was going on vacation the very next day in California. So the whole time, I mean, I had a great time in California, but in the back of my mind, Madonna, I wonder what she thinks. I wonder what she thinks. But I got the call that she loved it and it didn't fit in uh, with the other mixes because I didn't do a dance remix. I did an orchestral pop um, piano based mix and she put it on her uh, she's part of Tidal Music. I think she's a part owner for that. And that's an exclusive remix for that channel. And it's so funny because I go and look on boards to see what people are saying about me. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it's nice, but some people, what, what did he do here? <laughs> so, but whatever. <laughs> that mix inspired me to do my own album.
Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. I've been searching for music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, Slaps, Audius, Instagram, and a few others. And in each episode of Song Surfing, I present some excellent tunes by a diverse group of interesting independent artists. So if you like to discover new artists and explore some music from around the world, then come Song Surfing with me. Song Surfing is available on all podcast apps, as well as Spotify and Amazon. Part of adult life is finding out what isn't you, if that makes sense, or what you've done to make it through to adulthood. Um, there was actually a really great, great tweet that summed it up better than how I'm saying it right now. Um, and it, it was about finding your true self and not the, the, the part that you had to be just to survive. If there was a gay artist who used the wrong pronoun, I would, I would ask them why. Why are you doing that when you don't need to, you don't need to change anything now. the The only way we're gonna be okay with things as a society is if we normalize them. If we hear more about gay relationships in songs, then oh, it's a love song. It's oh, it's a love song, and then. That part or specifically a gay relationship, it doesn't matter as much, but there's representation for people who who want to have it. Um, and it doesn't become something odd. It's just, oh, I like the song about the two guys here. Not like, oh, did you hear the song about the two guys? I want so much of of gay life, gay marriage, holding hands, you know, existing in society. I want it to be normalized where it's just part of everyday living it, and people can get o- should get over it, that type of thing. Now, Paul, in one of your songs, Light and Dust, there's a lyric that I'd like to ask you about. It goes like this. Each time we touch, I recognize how we once felt in other lives. Can you tell us a bit about that? It's a song I wrote for Tom my husband, um, specifically that line is about uh, reincarnation. Um, I think as a spiritual person, I believe uh, that the spirit is eternal. And when you have a connection with someone, for me, that it might be because you have, you've had an experience with them in a previous life. And I think we're, we find those people again and we recognize that part of them. And it's almost like you're picking up where you left off. And with Tom, I definitely felt that way. Suspended in this
I mean, with a lot of my friends, I have that connection. But with Tom, I definitely, he, he is my, my old soul, like something that I, I feel I re I've recognized beyond my life, uh, if, if that makes sense. I imagined a scene, and I imagined this scene with Tom, uh, it, that we were lying in bed at the end of our lives, and we were in a quiet room, and uh, there was light coming in through the window, and we could see just the dust just hovering in the air. You know when you see like old movies or or go step into an old house and you can see the dust barely moving in the light. And that's the feeling I wanted with the piano. This is a really stripped back arrangement that was supposed to represent that feeling. Um, and I, my thought of the dust was our, our bodies. The song is about um, how the more we get away from our body, the more we realize our true selves and love of the true self is, that for me, that's love. It's of the light of the spirit within you and how there's clarity in knowing that at the end of your life, or I mean, even before that, but in this story, it's at the end, the clarity comes in, um, yeah, right before we passed. I always thought, Paul, when I was a young man, that uh, as I got older, it would become much easier knowing exactly who I was, knowing what, what masks I was wearing and when. But I'm 48 now, and and it can sometimes be just as confusing as it was when I was 19. and. I love this idea of you finding someone who just lets you be your authentic self through multiple lives and just finding them again and again and again, and the joy that one feels in discovering that person, maybe for the first time, maybe for multiple times. It's a lovely song. So what do you think the 15-year-old Paul Andrews would think of your music? At 15, I was, and you can guess my age now, <laughs> with what I'm going to say. Uh, You're like, when I was 15, I went to my first Spice Girls concert. <laughs> no, it was before that. <laughs> um, that was 83, 84, which are, it's considered the best time period in pop music just so many artists were creating their best work at that time 
So with that, my 15-year-old self, looking at my work now, um, he would probably ha have some sense of amazement because of um, how different music could be. Because even back then, though it was really creative, it there were certain styles that people were in. And I feel like what I'm doing now, I'm doing whatever is, is coming out. Um, and there's influence from impressionistic uh, music. You know, there's some R&B elements in it. And it doesn't necessarily sound like one thing, but it has, it, it's like combining all of that. And I think he would find that interesting, how it goes beyond the constraints of pop music. Um, beyond what is immediately influencing you. Do you think he'd be hearing the music of a stranger or would he recognize who it is? That's interesting. You know what? The experience he would have, because everything was about my Sony Walkman back then, where I just, my parents were divorcing. Um, I was coming to terms with, with my sexuality. So I spent a lot of time alone sitting out in the yard or just walking and walking and listening to music. And this album, if he were to hear it, this is definitely a headphones album where I'm, I'm meaning it as a personal experience where I, I'm asking the listener to, to spend time and attention to it to get the most out of it. So I think the 15-year-old self would understand that uh, and know that this introspective part is already within him. Now, Paul, to round off the podcast, I ask our musicians to suggest a gateway song that will allow listeners who aren't that familiar with your catalogue to become very seduced and trapped into it. What track would you suggest they listen to? I would, I would suggest the song over and over, um, it's not a Madonna remake. It's, uh... <laughs> I was about to say, when I first saw that, I did wonder. I was like, has he done a cover of that? Like a Virgin track? <laughs> well, a lot of people thought I covered Roxy music with the Avalon. And I'm like, no, it's a different song, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would pick over and over. It's one of the slower songs that starts wrapping up the album. I think lyrically, it's not a deep concept that, of the whole finding yourself that we were talking about, but it's about a relationship that ended and me trying to convince myself that it hasn't, but I know it has. Um, but it's, it's accessible because it has more of a uh, standard structure. It's like that blue eyed soul, but with dreamy, trippy elements on it. Um, it's melodic. You, so you could sing along to it. Um, yeah, I think that's a good uh, gateway song.
Paul Andrews, musician, husband, remix us to the stars. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> to join us here on In the Key of Q. It's been lovely to have you. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Our opening music is by Paul E. Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Remember to check out the show notes for a link to the Spotify playlist and support the pod at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. There's all sorts of exclusive bonus content there. Join the pod on social media and do please rate and review. It really helps. Many thanks to Kajun Kantha and Murray Lang for their help on this episode. I'm Dan Hall, recording at Pub Media Consultancy, and this is In the Key of Q. See you next Tuesday. It's over, it's over.